Hello listeners, welcome to a new episode of Computationally Yours. We are your hosts. I'm Dr. Sabha Kadri. I'm Arshi Arora and this is Computationally Yours. Welcome to a brand new episode of our podcast where we break down topics in advanced sciences related to computational biology, medicine and more to make them more accessible. And today we have a really informative episode planned for you. Recently there is a lot of news about new covid variants so we thought we could talk about those variants and viruses uh, what are these variants how are they created and how do we detect them and how normal is it for viruses to evolve into new variants and then we will discuss these in the context of covid and the 1918 spanish flu so yeah you really want to stay tuned in for this one before we go ahead let's do a very quick review and a shout out to some of our earlier episodes where we dived into concepts like genomes and genetic variations if you want to learn a little more about the fundamentals do check out our season 1 episodes that are related to human genome you know that's episode 5 called the human genome project episode 6 actually where we go into microbial genomics with dr egon ozer he broke down how genomics is used for research in bacteria and viruses and lastly episode 8 which was called all about genetic variations remember we all share about 99.9% of our dna and it's that 0.1% variation that makes us us and unique today let's start by talking about the sars-cov-2 virus since this virus has pretty much paused time for this entire planet The COVID pandemic is caused by the SARS-CoV-2 virus and the virus just like all viruses has a genome as well. Arshi, let's tell our listeners when the first genome sequence of the SARS-CoV-2 virus was actually made available. Of course. So the first genome sequence of the SARS-CoV-2 virus was it got published on January 10th, 2020. So that was called as the first novel coronavirus genome sequence and it is publicly available and was deposited in the GenBank database. And one thing we know about genomes is that they mutate, which means that there are changes to the genome which we call as variants. The viruses keep evolving through these variants and the variants can either make the virus stronger or weaker. Yes, and now fast forward to April 2021, there are multiple variants of the SARS-CoV-2 virus circulating all around the world. And yes, this is expected. These variants are expected to occur uh, as viruses are constantly changing. In fact, the viral genome has been mutating since that first version in Jan 2020. Over 5000 complete or near complete SARS-CoV-2 genomes are currently accessible in GenBank with various mutations. Yeah, but what is different about these variants? Like how is a viral variant different from the virus that is, you know, currently infecting the general population? Uh well, a new virus variant basically has one or more mutations in its genome and as a result in the proteins and the downstream processes. And these are these mutations or variants that differentiate it from the wild type or the predominant virus variants already circulating among the general population. All right, so let me get this straight. 
This means that a new SARS-CoV-2 variant that you hear about has a bunch of mutations that make it different from whatever might be the current predominant virus as well as its current existing variants that is already infecting the current or general population. And sometimes these variants will become stronger and other times the variant will become weaker than the main strain. That's absolutely right. But uh, now let's talk about what happens when a new variant emerges. Well, like we said, many variants have already emerged and many thousands of them have already been recorded. But typically, when new variants emerge, most of them disappear. But a few that have mutations that make them stronger, they persist in the population. Right. And people like the CDC in the United States and also researchers and institutes all over the world, really, study these persistent variants to understand the implications of these variants on us and on patient care. So they ask questions about the variants that they call as variants of concern. They ask questions like, does the new variant cause more or less severe disease? Does it spread more easily? Can the current COVID test detect this variant? Will the drugs that are currently being used to treat the patients, will these work on the variants? And finally, will the current vaccines protect us from these variants? You know, these questions would hold true in any pandemic and not only just the current COVID pandemic. Yeah, most definitely. And, and you know, talking about other viruses, we also should point out that actually the SARS-CoV-2 virus is not even mutating as much as other viruses like influenza or even HIV. Oh, wow. That is really interesting. I didn't know this. All right. Now let's highlight one specific mutation in SARS-CoV-2. This one is called D614G, which was a mutation first noticed in late January 2020 and quickly dominated strains that were spreading across the world. Now, the name D614G basically means is that at the 614th position, the amino acid D got mutated to amino acid G. So let's ask the question that we just asked. First, what does this mutation do? Well, this mutation is actually in the spike protein of the virus, which is on the outside. This has given the strain the ability to spread more quickly. It actually increases uh, transmission by 20%. Technically, this mutation seems to make the protein favor what we call as open conformations of the protein, which basically means that the virus can enter the cells more easily, thus increasing the transmission. The infectivity is also greater. But the good news for the strain was that clinically, it was not more severe than the strain that it was already replacing. Remember, this is like back in January 2020. And also, it's important to know that all the vaccines that have been developed are still effective uh, on the strain, which was predominant by the time that the vaccines were went into clinical trials as well. Until about September 2020 or so, none of the other variants that were coming up had caused any concern. But that has now changed. For SARS-CoV-2, when we talk about variants that are of concern, although there are many such variants emerging, we will highlight three predominant variants circulating globally. The first one is B117, which was detected in the United Kingdom. B1 was first detected in Japan or Brazil, and then the variant B1351 was first detected in South Africa. The B117 variant, the one seen in the UK first, is suspected to have arrived in the US somewhere around November 2020. 
And from there on, there are many models that are studying the prevalence and spread of these variants. And two of these models suggested that these variants will become predominant in the US. And as of March 27th, based on the CDC website, this variant is the most common linear circulating in the US with a 44% share. However, one model also suggests that the high vaccination numbers in the US will really reduce the impact of transmission of this variant. So we shall see how these things are panning out now. So Sabah, now the next thing that we want to discuss is how's the relationship between the mutations in these variants? That's a great point to bring up here, Arshi. So these variants that you mentioned have actually occurred independently of one another. The variants are defined by the unique mutations that have been observed in the genome, as we talked about earlier. These mutations might affect how the virus is transmitted, like we talked about with D614G. Or it might affect parts of the spike protein or some other downstream changes. If you look at the main protein changes between these three dominant variants, all of them, of course, have that D614G mutation that we discussed. But the B1351 variant, which was first observed in South Africa, and the P1 variant, which was first seen in Japan and Brazil, actually have this mutation called E484K. This particular mutation is actually not there in the B117 variant that is becoming more predominant in the United States. What this mutation means is that the E or the glutamic acid at the 484th position of the spike protein has been replaced or has been mutated to K, which is the symbol for lysine. This has actually changed the charge from negative to positive. Yeah, that was really informative. So now zooming out of the details here for a bit, what you need to know is that a lot of these mutations are happening in the receptor binding domain or RBD of the spike protein. And that is where most of the antibodies used in antibody therapies for COVID bind. So when this domain is mutating, Uh, the efficacy of the antibody therapies is also going to decrease. Exactly. So the infectivity increases. For example, the variants B117 and B1351 actually increased the transmissibility by 50%. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> let's, uh, let's wait and watch how this virus continues to mutate, huh? Yeah, yeah. And uh, who knows what happens with the biology. And I think even models can only capture some part of it because there's so much randomness involved, right? Exactly. And I think one thing that we don't go into today as much, we talked a little bit in our vaccines episode, is there are also studies ongoing to continuously monitor how the current vaccines are responding to each of these new variants that keep coming up. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely true. And there are still more and more vaccines coming up as well. So there's a lot of science that is going around to battle COVID now. Yeah, uh, that's so true. All right, so let's shift gears for a little while, okay? Let's actually talk about these names for the variants. I know that this is something that Arshi really wanted to talk about in today's episode. Well, I don't, I didn't really, really want to talk about them, but I thought it would just tie up nicely. So I, I did some research. No, I, I thought it was very informative what you found, actually, Arshi. Go on. Okay. All right. One thing I would like to, first of all, start with is that it is important to call these variants by their actual name. 
and that is B one one seven, and not the UK variant or anything else. As tempting it might be to remember this name, or perhaps say the variant that originated in the UK. That's so true, Arshi. You know, calling a variant the UK variant or the Brazil variant is just attaching stigma to a disease that has already been milked in all possible ways to divide us all. Okay, so let's talk about you know how these variants actually came to be named. For this part, we will be going over the naming nomenclature as was described by Andrew Rambot and his colleagues in this Nature Microbiology paper that we're going to link on our website. This naming system actually describes the relationships between the various early lineages of SARS-CoV-2 and their descendants that have then evolved from them. These authors created something called as the phylogenetic assignment of named global outbreak lineages, or pangolin. So we're going to refer to this as pangolin going forward. Basically, all the genomes that are related to each other through phylogenetics and some other factors that Arshi is going to dive into more can be grouped together into a lineage, and then that lineage is given a particular name. Yes. So let's talk about the Nature Microbiology paper by Rambot et al. A little bit more. So they also describe this pango lineage that Saba just mentioned, which is a lineage based on their nomenclature, and these lineages are basically cluster of sequences that are associated with an epidemiological event. For example, let's say a virus gets introduced into a geographic area and shows evidence of onward spread. These lineages capture the emerging edges of the pandemic across the globe and are great for genomic epidemiological surveillance and also outbreak investigations. According to the pangolin, the factors that define them include clustering together on the global phylogenetic tree, epidemiological support like location and further evidence of circulation in that region etc now for example let's try to decipher the b117 variant naming at the root of the phylogeny of sars-cov-2 there are two lineages there's lineage a and lineage b lineage b got published in sequence first actually now coming to your first point that how to decipher the b117 variant since we have these two lineages any further sequences that evolved from these were designated as either a1 or b1 uh, right after those a and b initial lineages which sabha just mentioned now these a1 and b1 which are further descending from a and b they can act as their own roots and then further on we can have b11 or a11 etc Anyway, so this can go as far as three levels, and then it switches to B two and and so on and so forth. Ah, so that's how they are named, and they're not just conjectured out of thin air, where people randomly putting some letters and numbers together. Yeah, that's right. And you know, it's not that someone is as creative to name them as B one one seven either. <laughs> You never know, Arshi, but no, no, yeah. no. It's good to know that there's a lot of science and phylogenetics here. In fact, we should probably talk a little bit more about phylogenetics in one of our future episodes as well. Anyway, going on. So, like we said, there are thousands of variants. Three that we highlighted here, which are variants of concern. But it is also important to note that actually, when you go to the Pangolin web- website, you will see that there are six major lineages that have been defined by the system. We're going to link the website below for you to check out all of that information. So, Saba, before we end this episode, uh, I know you wanted to bring up the 1918 Spanish flu. 
But again, going back on the terminology, I want to point out that Spanish flu was the popular term used, but it was actually an influenza pandemic that occurred in 1918-1919. But it infected one third of the world's population and nearly killed about 50 million people worldwide. Yes, this disease was really severe. But here's what I wanted to bring up about it. This pandemic did not die in 1919. All influenza pandemics since 1919 and almost all cases of influenza A around the world have actually been caused by some descendant of the 1918 virus that have mutated over the years. For example, viruses like H2N2 and H3N2, they have key genes that actually come from the 1918 virus. So if you really think about it, this is what actually makes the 1918 virus indeed the mother of all pandemics. This is also why you might be hearing in the news that COVID might keep coming back each year and we might have to keep getting vaccinated. It's because the viruses will keep circulating, they'll keep mutating. And as we said, some of them might get weaker and disappear. Some of them might get stronger and come back. We just don't know that. So we will just have to watch and see. And with that, this brings us to the end of this episode. Sabah, let's leave our listeners with the fun fact. Do you have something for us? Yeah, I do. So listeners, did you know that the mutation rate of RNA viruses that we've been discussing is about million times larger than the mutation rate that we've discussed in humans? Wow, that is really interesting. Uh, More on this another day. But before we sign off, Listeners, we have the papers referenced in today's episode listed on our website, so check them out if you want to learn more about any of the topics that we discussed. Don't forget to rate us and also subscribe on your platform of choice. Remember, we are releasing episodes every two weeks on Tuesdays from now on. And until next time, this is Computationally Yours. Computationally Yours.